Welcome to the Daryl Smith Podcast Show. Our voices, our views, our generation. Let's conversate. Welcome, everybody, to another installment of the Daryl Smith Podcast Show today on this beautiful Thursday, November 3rd here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, as I say. It's 72 degrees here today, and I uh, just want everybody let everybody know that it's important to make sure you go out and vote next Tuesday. This election is very important, like always. Make sure you vote. If you can, vote early. If you have to, take someone with you to the poll. If they need, need a ride to the poll, whatever you can, make sure you get out and vote. It's, it's very important to exercise your political right that we have. So if anyone out there from my uh, podcast show on Spotify, Google, Apple, any place that my podcast show is on, I really appreciate it a lot. So to start the show today, we have a guest on today who is a prime example, a true example of an individual who's a Gen X adult who's doing big things and is a living example of what Generation X can provide and give to our society. And not only that, he's my actual older brother who's a great person, but also someone I look up to all my life, even to this day, you know, I'm his younger brother. And I want to bring on my guest, Darnell Smith, who's the owner of Moon, pronounced M-X-N-N, pronounced Moon. So welcome to the show, Darnell. Thanks for having me. I have to say, this is, I do a lot of podcasts, but this one is extra special because I get to do it with my brother, so. Well, I appreciate that. We were talking about this for a little while, but I'm glad we were able to make it happen today, finally. Definitely. Oh, yeah. So my first question is that, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, sure. So I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I've been starting and failing at business for longer than I can I can count. I, I, right out of college, I, I founded a business that failed miserably and found myself in the workforce and, and really used that as a time to hone my craft. So I started out, you know, working in the spirits industry, uh, doing uh, work for the likes of Pernod Ricard and Diageo. Um, and spent, you know, roughly eight years or so doing that before I decided to make a switch and went to work in a completely different field and went to work in tech. Um, and, and for me, it was really about just rounding myself out as an individual and, you know, trying to make sure I had a full tool belt for when I came back around to being an entrepreneur again. So I spent some time working likes of GSK, Pfizer, the list goes on and, and really honed my craft and, and working in management consulting and doing large global digital transformation projects. About I don't know, five or six years into that, I realized like the entrepreneurial bug was never going to leave me. So that's when I, I stepped out. I founded Mojo, which is oddly enough coming up on its 10 year anniversary here, not too long. And, you know, we have had quite a run over these past 10 years working with clients like Procter & Gamble, Prudential, Rite Aid, Bacardi, uh, the list goes on. And, and it's really been kind of, you know, one of the biggest successes I've had business-wise, you know, up until now. And, and one of the things that uh, Stephanie, who's my wife and, and co-founder, Mojo, we always talked about was that, you know, professional services is business to be in. And so we always knew we wanted to uh, diversify. And so we started investing in uh, CPG products. And that's kind of what what led us to start Moon. So that's kind of a brief take around my, my background. But yeah, so that's me. Well, I was, I'm glad you mentioned a business you had started with sister-in-law, your, your wife, my sister-in-law, Stephanie. And I, you know, I want to say early congrats on coming up on 10 years. It's hard to believe you started it back almost 10 years ago. Time is going by fast goes fast. Yeah, yeah, well, Mojo and um now since you mentioned that with the obviously when you came out of college, the business you started back then that failed but didn't do well. How did that experience help you into when you started Mojo and then when you're doing your new company Moon? What what did you learn from that that you think that then you didn't do back 25 20 years ago? 
I really think it's just maturity. Um, I think when you're young and you're starting a business, you convince yourself everything is going to be <laughs> easy. Everything is going to go the way you think it's going to go. And I, you know, I'm pretty much here to tell you that what can go wrong usually will go wrong. And so I had to learn. I had to learn what to do and what not to do in certain situations. I had to learn how to up my focus in what I was doing and, and the level of commitment it takes. When you're younger, you just don't have exposure to that and, and can't really grasp that until you have a little bit more experience under your belt. And so, you know, that, that's to me is the, the biggest difference is just maturity and, you know. Hey, life experience, the older you get, the older I've gotten, the older you get, you look at things different than when you were when you're 18, 20, 30 years old even. you That's what life experience, that's something that young kids, I, they don't understand that, you know, they have it so good is that they don't have to worry about no responsibilities on their shoulders or on their back. And I tell them, you know what, don't grow up too fast. Enjoy being young while you can. That's the truth. Before the real world hits you and when you have to worry about other, like you also, not only the fact you're married, but you got three beautiful girls or my three beautiful nieces. So you got a lot on your plate too, besides being a husband and a father. Yes, indeed. <laughs> but, and I'll, you just said one more I want to mention about entrepreneurship bug. We have it in our family because our grandfather, who we rest in peace, and our dad was also entrepreneurs in themselves too. So it's no surprise that you are doing your thing and I'm doing my thing and I'm not doing it full time yet. That's not a surprise that we are doing entrepreneurial things to ourselves because it's kind of in our blood. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has always been something we grew up around and we watched and we saw, you know, our grandfather and our dad, you know, go out and, you know, start a business and, and have success. And I think they did it for, what, 30 years? I mean, it was a long time. Well, um, actually, they, our dad did heal on the bar for 19 years. Yeah. Because I was with them at the end, working part-time at the end. The last night, he closed it back in 06. So he did it for almost 20 years, which is a long time, especially in the bar industry, nightclub industry. Things have changed so much that if you get a good 10 years in it, you're doing fine. But he went above that. Yeah, you know, yeah, what granddad did, I mean, you Oh, yeah. Very true. As you know, so it's a long time. Yeah, it's definitely in our blood. So I think, you know, that was something that we had a little bit of a head start with and seeing how that worked and, you know, the ups and downs of that. And, you know, like you said, it's a, that was a tough business. So it is. It's even tougher now. I would, I would definitely want to get I would not want to get into that business now in 2022. Yeah, indeed. Definitely. So my, it brings to my next question. You were kind of alluded to this. What inspired you to start to start Moon or MXN's pronounced Moon? Yeah, um, for me, you know, most innovation is spurred by a personal need, and Moon is no different for me, right? I am working in the alcohol, beverage, spirits world, you know, for so long, it really got to a point where I had to kind of make a personal decision about my health, and right, I got to a point maybe five years into it with all of the tastings we used to have to do, all of the, you know, visiting visitors and accounts, and I think my liver just finally, you know, was like, ah, this is not going to work. Are you serious? So, yeah. You know, it, it just got to a point where it's just like, I had to make a decision. This is going to be me or my liver. <laughs> you don't want that. You want, you want yourself, not your liver. Yeah. And so, you know, this is 15 years ago. And so at that time I started making tincture, which is basically you take, you know, cannabis flour and you heat it up to a certain temperature and then you soak it in a high proof spirit and you strain it. And then you have a very concentrated dose of THC, which you can consume in drops. And so I would be the guy at the bar saying, hey, can I have a tonic and lime? And instead of getting gin or vodka in it, I would, you know, three drops, of my, three drops of my tincture in it. And I would be, you know, sessioning cocktails right along with all my coworkers. And, and so, but I was the one the next morning that could get up and function and, you know, wasn't hung over and wasn't drunk. And so the concept of Moon probably started 15 years ago that what really accelerated it um, as of late was that the technology improved that allowed us to do this, right? So you have um, 
the rise of non-alcoholic spirits, right, which is is one component of it. And then you have the rise of what's called nano-emulsified cannabis, which is essentially they've figured out how to suspend cannabis in smaller molecules so it stays uniformly in beverages and it's predictable. And so when you combine those two things together, um, you know, it was during the pandemic and I think everyone was searching for, you know, what are they going to pour themselves into? And for me, it, it ended up being Moon. And so during the pandemic, I worked tirelessly on getting it off the ground from formulation to packaging to, you know, getting the brand story together. Um, and that's really what, you know, got me there. So that, you know, 15 years ago, I would say is when the idea for Moon came. And I think that's a testament to, you know, sometimes you have an idea and it, you got to be really committed to it in order to see it through. And sometimes it doesn't happen in a month, a year, 10 years, you know, sometimes it's a much longer leeway, but I never gave up on the thought of it. And so, you know, I feel blessed that we've been able to bring it to market, you know, 15 years after the original idea. Well, that's good. I can, I can, you can probably agree. I have a personal testimony too, real quick. You know, remember back in 17, when I told you, I was thinking, oh, well, instead of doing a radio show where it costs a lot of money to get it started, which I don't have all that money to do, to get it started with licensing for songs, sampling songs, all that stuff like that. I mean, let me start a podcast show because it's a growing medium. It don't cost as much money to get it started. And I figured, you know what, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. I mean, I started in 20, which is probably not an ideal time to start. But you know what, you have to venture start at some point or another. Yep. You got to start it. That's all we're going to know. If you don't start it, you will never know what's going to happen. That's the truth, and I'm proud of what you've done. Well, I think I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I ain't going to lie to you. It was some moments here. I think I might have mentioned this to you on the phone one time that some people I've told about this, most people are, oh, that's great you're doing it, but there's some people who I thought I wouldn't say I was close to or I had a good rapport with. Not everybody sees the same vision I have. But sometimes in life, sometimes you have to expect that. Everyone's not going to see the same thing you might want to do in yourself and what you want to do, thinking outside the box or trying to go that direction. Yeah, if I had a dollar for every time someone called me crazy. <laughs> be retired somewhere living on an island so you have to really block that out because the the what people do is they um kind of transpose their fears on you and you know you have to remain steadfast in your vision and be committed to it if someone once said to me you know you're up to something when people are telling you you're crazy or this isn't gonna work <laughs> right but no one's saying that to you chances are you're not you're not reaching big enough so uh to me that's always validation that i'm on the right track when i get people calling me crazy and trust me i got plenty you're crazy with moon so our grandmother said something like this before when she was living she said people ain't talking about you that means you ain't doing nothing yeah you ain't doing nothing so i look like that as being that's probably i'm good i'm cool with it it's it's fine you know but like i said you as long as you believe in god and believe in yourself then that's then you're fine you can't you, no one can stop you if you believe in yourself also someone's gonna people can believe you. if you don't believe what you're doing no one's gonna believe it yeah but when it's, i'm gonna get off on that soapbox but um my next question and also behind you if we can see this, that design of the, I was going to say the bottle design you had is, is magnificent. I told you this before, the black sleek bottle, it, it stands out. I mean, if I was looking at it, it's like, oh, my God, this is a beautiful bottle to buy. It's sophisticated. It's sleek. It's easy to hold, easy to handle. I mean, you can't beat that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, you know, I've done a lot of product design in my past and working innovation. And one of the big things that I wanted to do with this was, right, we need to make this as easy as possible for consumers to, to grasp and get their heads around the concept. And so <laughs> yeah. I wanted to make, uh, uh, you know, something that was analogous to a super premium spirit. And so, but at the same time, right, held its own place. And so I, I wanted to design something that when someone puts this on their bar cart next to Grey Goose and Tangeray and all the other spirits that they're drinking that it stood out, but it also didn't look like it was out of place. Um, and so for me, it was really about elevating the bar card is kind of what I've always said to myself as, as we were designing the, the packaging. So, 
we've got we've won a lot of awards. We won a Clio award. We won some other awards on packaging. So yeah, we it worked out well. And that segue to my next question: What difference uh, Moon from other cannabis infused drinks like uh, Can and Wink, to name for example? Yeah, you know, I'll start by saying I'm a big fan of these products, right, and, and what they're doing to destigmatize the category, right? They are really, you know, paving the way for a mainstream transition to infused beverages. I think we're, you know, maybe a decade away from this being something that people just always felt like was there, you know, like kombucha or tea or any other beverage innovations that have come along during our history. We're, we're different in that, right, for us, in, like the cans and the winks of the world, they like really lean heavily into like sparkling seltzer and like kind of like White Claw and, you know, other type beverages like that. Um, we really lean heavily into craft cocktail culture and, you know, one-to-one replacements for things like gin, tequila, and bourbon. It's very easy to someone say, hey, are you familiar with tequila? And I'll go, yeah. And I'll say, all right, well, take this bottle and do everything you would do with tequila with this. But Right. You can make a margarita, a Paloma, all sorts of drinks with it and have the experience of cannabis versus alcohol, which, uh, in my opinion, is a superior experience, especially as it relates to, you know, the toxicity of alcohol. So we are different in that, you know, we really go hard at, at the craft cocktail culture and, you know, bartenders and mixologists are our biggest stars and we're giving them a new way to deliver cocktail experiences, whereas, you know, the cans and the winks of the world are more uh, kind of hard seltzers and it's so it plays a different role in, in the market. I like also the fact on your website, you give ingredients how to make each of these drinks too. Yeah, you know, and it's, the good thing is it's not any different from a typical cocktail recipe. And that's really what we wanted to illustrate, right? Like you are literally replacing the gin in a gin and tonic with our Moon London Dry. And it's same pour amount, you know, same ratio. And we really just wanted to, to demystify what it meant to have an infused cocktail versus an alcohol-based cocktail. And so we worked hard to make sure that ratio was right and and that it was truly a one-to-one replacement. And that was that was the biggest thing we had to accomplish. That's great. That's great. Now, segue to something that you kind of alluded to about you being a full-time entrepreneur. I want you to go in depth and tell me, can you describe what is it like to be a full-time business owner and the personal sacrifice that you have to make that most people don't even, wouldn't even imagine that you have to do to be a, a full-time business owner? Yeah, you know, I think it changes over time, right? At, at the beginning... Um, it usually means sacrifices in terms of, you know, what you can expect in terms of income. Um, it also is a shock to most people because it's not like a nine to five, right? Like you are doing this 24 hours a day and dreaming about it in your sleep. And the amount of time that you have to put in is something that most people aren't prepared to do. I remember when I first started Mojo, um, right? my friends would be going out on a Friday night and I'd be like, ah, I'll catch you later. I got, I got work to do, you know, and uh, Saturday during the football games or Sunday during the football games or basketball games or what, whatever we're on, I had my laptop in front of me doing work while I was watching it. And, you know, most people just aren't prepared to commit to something like that without the, the guarantee of success. I think more people are comfortable knowing that they're going to get a paycheck every two weeks and, you know, have a set schedule than, than they realize. And so, you know, entrepreneurship isn't for everyone. I think as the, you know, your business matures, I think it transitions from sacrifice more to responsibility, right? Like in responsibility in the sense of like, as a business grows, as an owner, you now feel very responsible for the people who are employed by your organization, right? I think back to, you know, how we had to scratch and claw, you know, during COVID not to lay anyone off, which we're very proud of, 
and actually start growing. But again, that took Steph and I waking up every morning with like, okay, how are we going to make it through today? What do we have to do? What do we have to focus on? And it became driven by, you know, the responsibility of that we felt to, you know, those folks that, you know, were employed by us. And so, and that's a whole different level of sacrifice when you have people who you feel uh, depend on on you for their work environment, for their livelihood. And you think about how many families, you know, the business is supporting that becomes a heavy burden if you let it. And I think, you know, you have to, you know, you go from this personal sacrifice to this mode of responsibility. And, and that's how it really evolves. You know, lucky enough for us, we've grown big enough that like, you know, uh, I kind of create my own schedule. You know, I'm still a, a workaholic to some extent, which is kind of a uh, trademark of uh, Gen X, which I'm sure we'll get into, but yeah, we'll get to uh, in a moment too. <laughs> you know, I think it's just one of these things that like it, you have to commit to it. And it's, it's almost like you can't have a plan B if you really want it to be successful. And I know, you know, I always knew I had things I could fall back on. I could always go back into consulting. I could always do these other things, but in my mind, it wasn't an option. Like it was success or bust. And, and for me, it was really about taking all my past experiences and failures and learning from them. And now, you know, I had enough experience, I had enough relationships, I took the time to plan for it, which I mean, you know, a big thing that, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure too, but one of the big things that is important is that you set yourself up for success. And a lot of times that means you have to be aggressive with saving money before you even get moving with it, because you need to give yourself some runway, because things aren't going to go, don't always go uh, as as fast as you expect them or as well as you expect them. And so you need to give yourself some cushion to be able to, to ride the wave a bit. And so I think that is, is super important for anyone thinking about, you know, being a full-time business owner, recognizing the sacrifices, recognizing how it transitions over time and really being committed to it. They, they say that a lot of companies don't make their first profit. It takes about five years typically for most businesses to turn a profit in on average. Yeah. And uh, most businesses don't even make it five years. So you if know? you make it past five years, they said the chances of you succeeding and being around is better. But if you don't make it within that first five years, then that's it. But a lot of people, you know, people have failed many, many, many times. The most successful people have failed multiple times before they became real successful. That's something you have to realize. huh? Absolutely. And it, I think the people who have done that use failure as a lesson versus as a setback. And I think that's a common thread between people who have failed many times and then had success. It was just, again, that persistence and that consistency that like, that may not have worked, but I learned from it. And I'm going to use that in my next endeavor. You know, so. And then now the, the next question we get to, which I ask all my guests to come on my show. And since you are a true example, you're definitely writing the Gen X. And this is part of what the, my, the main essence of my show is geared towards Gen X. Is this question is that in your opinion, why do you think adults and generation X are not mentioned in our culture? And also with that second question is also, what does our generation bring to the table that is unique from, say, the baby boomers and Generation Z or millennials? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, for me, it, it maybe isn't so much that we're not mentioned in culture. It's just baby boomers and millennials and Gen Z have, and, and, and so on have just taken more of the spotlight. Right. And so. There's a reason why our generation, you know, is sometimes referred to as like the lost generation. <laughs> That's the way I feel too. Right. And, but you have to think about where we fit in the whole scheme of things. Like our parents are either from the silent generation or the early baby boomers, right? That's who our parents are. And our kids are 
millennials and Gen Z. Yeah. yeah. Right. So we're in the middle of, you know, bridging the gap between the older generation and the younger generations. And so we're kind of that connective tissue. And if you think about like what we experienced, our generation really experienced was something that not a lot of people give a lot of attention to, but the divorce rates went up astronomically during our childhood. And, you know, what that led to was, you know, some people say we had the least adult supervision and nurturing of any generation there has been because of, right, this divorce rate. And also introduced was birth control. That's right. Right. You had this weird mix of, right, kind of both parents of uh, Gen X were out of the house working, right, trying to make ends meet. Um, so we weren't as supervised. And at the same time, birth rates were going down. And so that just made everything trick. And, you know, we're that first generation, like post-civil rights. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's very true. Generation experienced the stock market crash of 87. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a big one. The 9-11 in 2001. A lot- all that stuff hit our generation hard. And so, you know, the one that probably hurt us the most was 2008 because it was right around the time where the market crashed, but a lot of our generation were just becoming homeowners and right. They started owning houses and then the crash came. And I think I saw some stat that said like Gen X lost 45% of its wealth in the 2008 crash. We lived through a lot. Now, what does that mean in terms of like, what do we bring to the table? I think a few things, right? I think we are definitely more resilient. Oh, I agree with that. Definitely. The most, right? I think we're self-sufficient. Hardworking too. Hardworking and we don't complain a lot, right? Like I think one of the knocks on like generations behind us, like millennials, is like they complain about everything that they're entitled, right? And I've had various experiences with that, but I will say, you know, just generally our generation has been this kind of connective tissue, like where I think we have like a unique ability to bridge the gap between uh, old and new ways of working. Like, you know, we are, we're not digital natives, but we have, right, the technological know-how of the younger generations, but we also have, you know, the leadership skills of the older generation. So you bring a good point. I was gonna say, because I remember, you remember a time when life was like, life before social media and before cell phones became big back in the nineties. I remember yeah. how life was back then. It seemed like a long time ago. I remember having pay phones around every corner you went to, you like, you probably, you had a pager back then. Yeah. These kids don't know what that's all about. They're like, what's this? Yeah. And we know how life was before technology came into place and how I'm gonna say it about social media, with Facebook, LinkedIn, those things are great. It brings people the world together, but it does change the dynamics of relationships because it's so harder it's hard to get people to talk on the phone or I think to develop deep relationships than it was, say, 25, 30 years ago. It's definitely changed that dynamic too. Even now, obviously you're married, but if you're not married, in terms of the dating world, that's changed too. Online date, that's another conversation right there in itself. Yeah, you know, I think anyone who was of age before the acceleration of the technological age secretly longs for those days. Like, I'm not a big fan of, right, being attached to my cell phone all the time or having to be on social media to keep up with what's going on. For me, I kind of tend more towards, you know, disconnecting from that because, you know, I feel like for all the good things it's provided us in terms of connectivity. And, you know, I love seeing people celebrate milestones. <laughs> yeah, and me too. People, people happy birthday. But the bad part of that comes with some of the ills, I think, social media. And so our generation is probably that last generation that 
longs for maybe a simpler time when we weren't so heavily ingrained in the social and you know your cell phone ringing every five minutes every minute and they expect a response right then and it just has gotten to a point where i think you know it's it's tough for our generation to while we can do it i don't think we biggest fans of it Um, you know you know i agree i want that was back to the mid to late 90s the good old days the music was good everything's life was simpler my body was different than what it is now you can relate to that how i was best in high school how i was back then i mean i wish i can go back if i went back to the 90s if i knew what i knew now Oh man, I'd be in another another level right now. Yeah, but here we are, and uh, <laughs> life experiences. Yeah, and I think you know, I think what you'll see is right once as the baby boomers begin to kind of phase out, I think Gen X will play an important role in terms of um, really being part of like determining what way this planet is going to go for the next hundred years you know i think it's coming i think it's coming in the next five ten years we're gonna really we're gonna be we're gonna really emerge and really stand out and we're gonna be the ones that lead past the torch is gonna come our way finally and we're gonna take this world hopefully in a better place overall my personal opinion yeah i hear you i'm gonna say one more point i said is that i think parents generation we were one of the first generation that was really embraced diversity and inclusion of people who were uh, other people from different racial groups that were biracial and not one racial group if you know what i'm saying we were we were the first Generation, especially going to school, that we really were introduced to that because our parents, baby boomers, the diversity and inclusion was nowhere near like it was when we came when we were in school. You know, really the first post civil rights generation. Like our parents grew up in the fight for civil rights, so they still had segregation. They had all sorts of things that they were dealing with. That you know, for us, you know, I think on the surface we thought we were past. I think what we learned is it just evolved and it changed and what that looked like. But yeah, our generation definitely kind of just in its roots have been grounded in just a more diverse, inclusive way of, of thinking, which is why I think, you know, a lot of Gen X folks lean a little bit more liberal. I do too. It's amazing that, you know, and I do a lot of this stuff for words. We think about like, you know, understanding our consumers and you have to understand like someone's background before you can understand how to fill a need. And so I spend a lot of time looking at the different generational differences and the things that each generation went through. And, you know, I will say Gen X, we we had an interesting path. And I think, you know, it all starts with, again, that kind of breakdown of the family structure um, that happened for us with, with the divorce rate going up so high. And we're in an interesting position now, right, because we have, you know, aging parents and we have children, right? And so the responsibility level for our generation has just gone up, you know, and it's going to continue for, you know, the next foreseeable future until, like we said, the, you know, kind of the baby boomer generation starts to, to phase out. You bring up some great points. And then my last question, a segue to this, is that what is the one piece of advice that you would give anyone that wants to be a, a business owner on a full-time basis? Uh, yeah, you got to commit to it. And commit means you got to do the work. And by that, it, it starts with, you know, I kind of touched upon this earlier, is giving yourself some runway, right? So you might have an idea and it might take you a few years to get there, but, you know, you have to stay committed to it. So saving up money so you can fully dedicate to it, right? And not be worried about where the next meal or paycheck is coming from. I think that's really like where to start. And and two, I really feel like a lot of people, and this is a mistake I may have made, so this is more like advice than it is a, a uh, anything saying negative. It's just, you have to take the time to truly understand the business that you want to get into and understand the inner workings of understand where other people have failed, understand how other people have succeeded and really do your work, right? They that that 10,000 hour rule is, is so true. And 
you know, they say in order to be really good at something, you got to put 10,000 hours into it. And I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that. And a lot of people go into owning a business and they're not fully prepared. They haven't done the pre-work. They haven't set themselves up for success. And it's hard because the first thing that goes wrong just turns into a domino effect. And then it just tanks the whole thing. And so I would say, you know, make sure you have the commitment. Make sure you put in the work to understand, like, not just understand, but understand what you are going to bring to something that is a benefit to others versus what they currently have. And you got to give yourself some runway, some, some time to, to do it. Great. You know, the advice you gave me when we met up a couple months ago when you came here to visit about I'm still going through the process of learning about the business side of doing a podcast. I got the part interviewing people, but now I'm going through the phase of learning the business side of being a pod, of the podcast industry. I'm, I'm going through it step by step to learn stuff to do the business side of it because that's the biggest part, the biggest tool. Yeah, especially if you want to do it, you know, more full time and more, you know, centered to what you do. And we talked about it and, you know, and it's, it's one of those things that you got to really immerse yourself in and, and I'm like I said, I'm very proud of how far you've made it. And I'm I'm certain you'll continue to, you know, commit yourself to it. And I'm sure it'll even provide different pathways as you continue to get into it of ways to, you know, effectively you're a content creator. And so that's true. Uh, very true. That's the way you gotta look at it. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, man. And um also where can people go check out your uh, moon and also uh, if anyone wants to check out mojo to any one businesses to have not only most mojo, but your business in general. How can people reach out or contact you or check out your website? Where can people go? Yeah, first for Moon, you can go to Enjoy Moon, which is enjoymxxn.com, and you can see what we're up to there. Um, if you want to learn a little bit more about what we're doing at Mojo, it's mojopsg.com. Um, and those are the two best places to kind of see what I'm up to. And, uh, you know, obviously you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to, to connect and, uh, you know, provide as much guidance and advice from my experience as I can. I would be the first to say I'm still learning. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're in California, you can get your hands on Moon. And uh, hopefully next year we'll be in five to seven more states. And uh, we are, are pressing forward. Hopefully here in Wisconsin, they can pass it here. But the legislation here is going to have us blocking that. But hopefully it pass here soon in Wisconsin. It'll be here soon in Wisconsin. But we'll see how that goes. <laughs> it's going to be a fight. <laughs> we'll see. But, yeah, but Dan, thanks again for coming to the show. I appreciate it a lot, man. And um, tell uh, Stephanie and the girls I love them. And I plan on seeing them in January. And I love you too, man. You take it easy, man. All right. I love you too. Congrats. Too Glad we able to make this happen. Uh, so am I. So I'm glad we able to make it too. And to everyone out there, thanks again for listening to the show. And until then, until we talk later, I'm out.